0: 10,
1: 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Live from Bournemouth, this is The Breakfast Show with Mal Krishnasamy on Teachers Talk Radio.
2: Good morning. It's 7 a.m. Welcome to The Breakfast Show. I'm Mal Krishnasamy. I'm here Monday, 7 to 8.30 a.m. Coming up, we have special guest David Weston. We're discussing the reformed MPQs. It's Monday morning. This is TT's Talk Radio and we are live.
1: Live from Bournemouth, this is The Breakfast Show with Mal Krishnasamy on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live on the Podbean app or desktop player. Just head over to www.podbean.com slash lsw slash ttradio or search Teachers Talk Radio.
2: Let's get rid of some cobwebs. teachers talk radio i'm back i feel like i've been away for months absolutely it's only been two weeks but yeah it really does feel like i've been in narnia um i got married yes i got married um and i am still mal Krishna army yes um my name is actually malavilli rajian Krishna army that's my full name it's a bit of a mouthful there um so, you hear my middle name is Rajian, uh, which means victorious king. It's quite an ancient Indian name. Uh, my kids, who are half Irish, have Rajian as their middle name. And now my husband, sounds really weird saying that, my husband's middle name will also be Rajian. So, I haven't changed my name Uh my other half my husband uh he has added my middle name to his middle name so we've all got the same middle name which is nice so hopefully at passport control they won't say whose children are these (laughs) yes they are mine we've all got the same middle name but i was thinking about this the other day it's quite interesting because even on my wedding day uh people you know some of my friends were like so what are you now mrs and i'm like i'm still mal krishna's army <laughs> um my name hasn't changed and they're like oh oh okay um and it's interesting is isn't it because whether you if you're a man whether you're married or not you're mister um but for women it's like mrs miss ms uh, there's a new one as well dorset uh where i am um Doing the show for is MIX. So MX is a new one. So um, and I suppose that's about uh gender uh transition, that kind of people like that that don't want to be um known as either a man or a woman. So there's lots of different things, isn't there, for mainly women. Um, but for men, you are a mister and so people are like, yeah, but you're still a Mrs. And I was like, well, I can't be Mrs. Krishnasamy. For a start, that's my mum. Because <laughs> the culture I grew up in, my dad's name is Krishnasamy. That's his first name. That was his first name. And so we are the offspring of Krishnasamy, like, like McDonald, son of Donald. So the family name becomes Krishnasamy. So, um, so my surname is my dad's first name, so I can't be Mrs. Christmas Army. The other thing is, the idea of losing my name is, is a bit odd to me. Um, I couldn't, I I find that difficult to contemplate because I've spent my whole life trying to fit into my name, (laughs) uh, Trying to be me, you know, being comfortable with my diverse background um and then to lose it seems a bit odd now because i'm now I feel like I'm finally in the um in a space where I'm happy to be Mal Krishna Sami, you know, I'm not embarrassed about my background, it is part of my upbringing, being brought up in East London, you couldn't say you're English, uh I didn't feel Indian i didn't feel malaysian so it was very very confusing times growing up um so you can imagine the students you teach many of them are probably going through this right now um so the upshot of it all is i can't be mrs krishnasamy and i don't like the idea of having to declare i'm married via my title i mean there's been several awkward moments when i've been to the hospital or something and they said are you married and i was like is that relevant to my condition and they're like "Uh, uh, uh." (laughs) yeah um men don't need to men don't need to declare that they're married um one of my friends who got divorced when she was getting a mortgage they were like yeah but how are you going to support yourself she's like uh i'm a head teacher I Can you not see my financial income there? Um, It's amazing how backwards we still are in so many ways. I know plenty of my friends who changed their name and became Mrs, whatever. I mean, I had to persuade one of my friends uh, to use her title of doctor. I mean, use it with pride, honestly. Don't be embarrassed about that. If I was a doctor, I'd like Dr Can you imagine? My parents would have been so proud. some people to be fair some people hate their names because uh of bullying because their name doesn't translate well in other languages um their name can be ridiculed in english some people associate their family name with having a terrible upbringing Um, ultimately for me it just feels a bit outdated really changing a name because it comes from the you know uh, a time when women were seen as the property of their husband um and i have to say at my wedding we did things differently nobody gave me away <laughs> and it's quite interesting the questions you get so who's going to give you away no one's giving me away <laughs> i'm not i'm not a prize <laughs> um so it's yeah so it's that you in the in that kind of patriarchal society the the woman is given away by the father to the future husband and everything that belongs to her um then belongs to the husband um everything that belongs to the husband belongs to the husband <laughs> including the wife so um yeah so I, we we did things very differently this um yeah our whole uh, ceremony was completely different it was uh, quite a Irish Indian wedding if you like um, even my dress it was made from a sari but in a 50s style I d- designed it myself I was quite chuffed so I had the fusion I mean at the end of the day I'm a a, a product of being a British Malaysian Indian married to an Irishman and If I change my name to Mal McCullough, I think I sound like an Irish builder. So, it doesn't fit anyway, does it? It's not right, is it? Mal McCullough, that's not me. (laughs) I'm glad you find it funny, TSCW. Now, I know your name is TSCW on Twitter. I don't actually know your actual name, so let me know what your name actually is. Let's. Uh, I'm trying to do this without a mouse. What am I doing? I'm trying to do a few things. Oh. So, what are we talking about today? Today. I'm sorry, I might be a bit out of practice because it does feel like years ago I looked at this interface, if you like. I'm recognising a few names though. Uh, we've got uh, Jeanette Hurst. Hello. Welcome to the show. So the rest of you, there's a few people. Uh, God, Fred. Oh, Godfred Wateng, let us know where you're listening in from. And David Weston's in the house. Welcome, David. I'll be asking you to call in in a minute. Um, what are we talking about today? Today we are talking about the MPQs. Now, to our international listeners, and I know ooh, uh, about 25% of our listeners are across the globe. So that's one of the questions I'll be asking, David. Can you do this these courses via international schools um mpqs are national professional qualifications and when they first came out and i'm trying to think um i had just had a baby so 2013 no 2014 2014 i uh remember coming in on one of my kit days to do a presentation at my organization regarding the mpqs because we were going to be uh one of the first what used to be the cluster schools and that's another question i'll ask david will there still be cluster schools and what that meant was was that i was delivering it um across the multi-academy trust, the MPQs, uh, the middle leadership one, and the senior leadership one across the trust. And then when I left teaching, I then was facilitating it at the Institute of Education, which I really enjoyed. And it was quite uh, cool sometimes bumping into people that I'd met via Twitter on these courses. And it was great Um, seeing people from around the country uh, from different settings, uh primary, secondary, um, the little ones, just you know, all these different settings and coming from a secondary background, even though I did work at a multi-academy trust where you've got the little ones as well, you don't get a real insight unless you're in that kind of job and I didn't really get an insight into early years until my children. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to school themselves and it's like wow. Um, yeah, so MPQs, have you done it? Um how did you find the courses? Um how did you find the delivery of it? What questions do you have? Ah, oh, morning. Um from East London, whereabouts? I'm from East London. Um, I'm from Manor Park, so whereabouts are you listening in from? Let us know, let us know. Okay, so whatever questions you have about the MPQs, believe me, David Weston will know. Um, And David, you are welcome to call in. Oh, I'm sounding croaky, aren't I? Not used to getting up at this time. Although for some bizarre reason, my kids um, decided to wake up at four o'clock yesterday. Um, They had a sleepover with their friend four in the morning they woke up and I was not impressed and their friend who basically woke up my kids (laughs) was like oh I just wasn't sleepy at all you know that's what you think if you weren't a child (laughs) the words I could use right David
3: good morning
2: good morning welcome to the show again thank
3: you so much for having me i'm definitely also in the croaky voice club this morning now yeah
2: <laughs> no, i'm not i'm not liking this morning stuff
3: <laughs> I, I know, you know? I'm not, yeah, morning i definitely morning should start a lot later especially on a monday but there we go yeah. look it's really lovely to be with you again
2: that yeah, was great do you know what i will say this in a month's time i'm moving to spain and what i'm most yeah i know <laughs> i know there's a lot going on in my life right now i'm slightly stressed and croaky um yeah so uh but what i'm excited about is that i'll be an hour later was it i can never work it out but basically when it's uh nine o'clock there it'll be eight o'clock here so i will have a It will nice.
3: this is amazing You'll yeah. be an hour later and you'll be an yes. hour warmer. I mean, it's it's yeah. just going to be a yeah. win all round.
2: Yeah, I reckon I'll end up getting used to the times and then still sound croaky.
3: <laughs> Listen, I hope you manage to work in some sort of Spanish flavour to these shows then. I think we'll all be oh, ready. You know, do you know
2: what? I can't wait. My Spanish lessons start today. So <laughs> so it'll be interesting. Maybe I'll do it in a different language in about a year's time. You never know.
3: I mean, amazing. Listen, we'll need to go on a bit of a journey with you for that. But yeah. Uh,
2: that <laughs> Right, let me introduce you properly. David is the founder and chief executive of the Teacher Development Trust. He's the chair of the Department for Education's Teachers Professional Development Expert Group. That's a mouthful. (laughs) And alongside Bridget Clay, you wrote Unleashing Great Teaching, The Secrets to the Most Effective Teacher Development and you're also an ex maths and physics teacher of ten years in two schools in London and the South East and the founding fellow of the Chartered College College of Teaching. Do you have much of a break with all those?
3: <laughs> well, actually look, there's a very important thing that got missed out there because it's strictly season and I used to be <gasps> a very serious ballroom and Latin American dancer as well. And oh. I just feel of anything else, that is one of the things I am most proud. So <laughs> it's
2: it's all about the journey.
3: <laughs> it is all about the journey. It is I, absolutely. Um, I tell you
2: what, when we move, apparently we need to get a VPN thing so we can get BBC. Because the only thing I watch on proper TV is Strictly. That's the only thing I watch. I
3: love you know, Strictly. <laughs> I do honestly. I've been watching it um absolutely obsessively from the very first series back in I don't know was it two thousand three four or something. It was um, ass-
2: 15 odd years isn't it you know 16 yeah. 17 years something like that yeah i've and, been watching it since then
3: and you know what actually the funny thing is because i'm, I'm just a, i'm a massive nerd i mean i really am a massive nerd so <laughs> i spent oh Teacher development. How does that relate to dancer development? And the number of parallels I end up drawing in my head between like how dancers learn and how I used to teach dancers and how we teach teachers and how teachers learn and how teachers teach other children. And um honestly I absolutely love it. But this this just really explains the sort of nerd that I am.
2: Uh, <laughs> no, but I think that's part of the reason why myself and my other, oh, my husband, my husband like it Ooh. so much because of, you know, the because at one stage over the years they weren't really showing much of the training
0: no, and
2: we were right. like yeah but oh but we want to know how they got from there to there and you know the journey and um they're doing that a lot more now and i love that and you can tell the great teachers can't you
3: yeah you can and it's really interesting seeing the different um different approaches they take mm.
0: actually and
3: and and not only that but they have to try and figure each of their pupils out you know they, yeah. they really have to kind of think What's your confidence level at? What are you bringing to it? Where are you overthinking? Where are you underthinking? What things can we drill you in? What things do we need to build? You know, maybe just build the joy. Yeah. It's fascinating, really fascinating. And yeah. and it, I think there's so much in there about kind of people's thinking patterns and then also preparing them, not just for this is a skill for life, but this is a skill that they have to demonstrate under a high pressure situation in a one-off as well. Mm, um, yeah so yeah it's so fascinating um but
2: and also resilience because you can get a few knockbacks whether that's in training or in um or when you're up against the judges you know and listening to their comments being able to handle um constructive criticism when you get it yeah Um, yeah that's right yeah, I'm kind of pretty glad that Bruno's not in it at the moment because I don't think his comments are very constructive. Quite often, often he can be quite. Um, oh, I can't say it on air. <laughs>
3: yeah, but he can. Um yeah. but it's, it's actually a very interesting thing in it, um, and again, I kind of you know to make to make some kind of links with the teacher development bit oh. when that when it all started there were people who were kind of from outside the key domain of of ballroom dancing apart from it was len goodman originally and Mm. he always used to make these kind of slightly more technical comments and interestingly now most of the panel are really high level sort of performers teachers etc in in that world and so there's you can really see the shift actually between sort of they're picking out technical details they're really uh, giving feedback which is actually a lot more the sort of feedback they give to people they were teaching to be better at this yeah Um, and it's very interesting, it's not kind of, oh, you just need to be musical and be showy and I love the performance and blah, blah, blah. And it's a, it's a lot more technical. And um, that's very interesting, again, yeah. to then make uh, kind of the nerdy comparison, um, this whole idea of kind of how we begin to be more sort of like coaches within our domain and a bit more specific and less generic feedback. And yeah. um, again, lots of parallels, you see, I just can't help it. Yeah.
2: yeah, no, I completely agree. <laughs> <laughs> fancy people are like what have we changed? is this it takes two or something
3: it's it takes three <laughs> there we it go it takes
2: three yeah. <laughs> okay so we are here to talk about the mpqs
3: lovely yes and looking forward to it because um about these um be, I think the first thing I, I just want to say this morning is that lots of people may recognise the acronym NPQ, National Professional Qualification, and say, "Oh, yeah, I know someone who's done those, or I've done one of those before." Um, and it, there was a very interesting discussion in government. Should they? Um, well, should should we? And um, we were <clears throat> advising them, and we thought, should we advise them to keep the acronym NPQ because? These new qualifications are just so new. They're so different. They're completely reformed. And <clears throat> there was a lot of discussion about whether to just call them something different so that people didn't think they were the same. Um, mm. And in the end, the advice was no, actually, probably stick with it because it's sort of a "quotes" brand that is known. But mm. um, we just need to spend a long time saying to people, this isn't what you've done before. This is a very different thing. So if you've, for example, if there are people listening, you said, oh, you know, I know someone who went on an NPQ and didn't have a good experience with it. Just, you know, that doesn't carry through. It, it, these are very, very different, delivered by mm-hmm. different organizations in many cases, designed differently, different frameworks, different delivery approach. So, and I want to dig into that uh, that a bit today, yeah. if that's
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Because often I see questions about the MPQs, whether it's on Facebook, on Twitter, um, even on LinkedIn, people uh, send me questions about it. And um, one of the key questions is what is the difference between the old one and the new one?
3: Yeah, absolutely. And and a very good question as well. So um, let's just talk about um, a few of the differences then, because I think um, that's quite important. So the first thing I would say is that um, each of the NPQs is underpinned by a framework. So that is um, uh, now it's a whole series of um, sections within each section. Um, it has things that you need to uh, learn about and you need to learn how to do. Um, So in a sense, it's actually now a lot more similar to, say, the early career framework or the uh, initial teacher education core content framework. Um, Mm -hmm. But they've been completely written. People didn't start with the old ones and tweak them a bit. They started absolutely from scratch. They also Mm -hmm. started by looking at the current up to date evidence base about leadership in schools and not kind of general leadership theories from across loads of other sectors. So Mm -hmm. the the evidence base is completely different. That's a really important change. And I think another really important change is that there used to be, um, and and I know loads of people who've done this, um, a, a kind of generic NPQ and middle leadership. Um, and the attempt always was, it doesn't matter if you're a subject coordinator in primary or you're a head of year in secondary, or, it doesn't matter. Just anyone can take this qualification. Mm. And it was always a bit of a stretch. It was always really hard to make it work for everybody. So yeah. there is yeah. no more generic NPQ and middle leadership. And what there is now, list qualifications. And it's not necessarily just for middle leaders. It's now, actually, it's formed. it's modeled a bit on what they do in Singapore, where the idea is, When you're in the classroom, you shouldn't just have to say, my progression is only now out of the classroom and into some sort of leadership, but it recognizes that people can develop specialisms. And so there's three. Uh, First one is an NPQ in leading teaching. So that's the idea of taking a specialist qualification in leading teams of teachers, leading a curriculum area, an assessment area, um, and understanding all of the curriculum assessment, leading people, developing people, And all of those skills so the npq Mm -hmm. in leading teaching is for people who are interested in then kind of leading teams of teachers there's another one which is an npq in leading teacher development that's Mm -hmm. if you're really interested in being a coach or a mentor particularly focused on people who are looking to coach and mentor teachers in their early career so that could be um, helping people in the first two years under this new early career framework or um, mentoring beginning teachers who are um, doing their initial teacher education, but also extending those skills through to more experienced colleagues, and then working with senior leaders to um, kind of turn that into school improvement um, and really connect people development and school improvement together. So Mm -hmm. you've got the leading teaching, you've got the leading teacher development, and then the final one is leading behavior and culture. So that is um, <clears throat> for anyone who wants to be, uh, say, leading behavior or leading well-being or a real focus on mental health um, and creating a culture for pupils in the school, which is really warm, really engaging, really great lessons where people can concentrate and focus and they feel, feel safe and secure. So, um, in a primary setting, it could be someone really focused on pupil culture. In a secondary setting, it might maybe more traditionally be, for example, uh, say, head of year or head of key stage or someone who's more of a, a well-being or behavior coordinator. But these are three really distinct different routes. And so if you're a teacher, you might be thinking to yourself, oh, OK, um, where do I fancy really extending my skills and where do I want to see myself going um, and not, oh, the only thing I have to do is just really focus on management, for example. Um, so I think that's quite exciting. There's a few more as well. But I just thought, you know, it's worth sort of pausing and reflecting on on, on those two first, maybe.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, right. I mean, from the point of view of a facilitator, um, when when I had about 30 people in front of me from different settings, some on the pastoral route, some on the curriculum yeah. route, it was very difficult to kind of because what I was delivering was quite generic, like you say, so to be able to mm-hmm. focus on one of those areas is fantastic.
3: Yeah, I think so. And I think there's been a lot of people really excited about the idea that they can mm. sort of choose a development route. And of course, it doesn't pigeonhole you either. I mean, you know, yeah. if, you, if you do a, a an NPQ in leading teacher development and you become this fantastic mentor and coach, you might later on want to then do an NPQ in leading teaching and lead a, yeah, lead a team of that, people. Yeah. Um, and
2: yeah.
3: there's no sense that you have to sort of progress. There are three specialisms and you can explore them. Um, mm. And, but there are also still, Three NPQs in uh, school leadership, um, uh, in school leadership levels. So there's still an NPQ in senior leadership, um, yeah. an NPQ for senior leaders, an NPQ for head teachers, and an NPQ for executive leaders as well. So yeah. that kind of traditional progression also exists. But again, even though the names are the same, they are completely overhauled, completely different, yeah. very different experience from before. So, oh, yeah. so that's that's a couple of changes. I think um, other things it's then worth saying are. That people, um, and I think increasingly people are familiar with, um, if they're in England, the, the initial teacher training core content framework, which has loads of overlap and similarities to the new framework, which is there for teachers in their first two years of teaching, the early career framework. Mm-hmm. And then the, the, the format of the frameworks really follows through. And in fact, if you're doing an NPQ in leading teacher development, for example, you'll be doing loads of drawing upon the early career framework and all of the things about the pedagogy from there. So there's what we call a golden thread. And every single one of the NPQs, and this is something I'm really proud of, actually, I'm really proud to have played a part in this, has a much bigger chunk, a much bigger section on developing people. So there there is a big section now on professional development creating the right culture for it, the right processes, bringing people together and collaborating and the sorts of activities that are most likely to help and trying to find ways to engage teachers, not waste people's time, make sure things are really relevant, make sure yeah. people feel supported. So this kind of golden thread all the way from beginning teaching all the way through to leadership and this professional development focus is really important, I think. Um yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that was the difference with the old MPQ. Sometimes it could feel very um, separate, like each module was very separate from another module. And if, um, like at the organisation I was working with, they... If you uh, were part of that organisation or doing your NPQ there, you could have a different trainer every time, yeah. and so it was impossible to have that golden thread.
3: That's yeah, how I felt right, and and I think um, you know that connectivity is really important. Um, now there are um, there are nine lead providers for these new NPQs, so that means mm-hmm. essentially nine organisations. Um, have uh, been licensed from government to take the frameworks and turn them into curricular materials and training and training offer. And of course, I'm I, I know most about the one that my organisation does, Teacher Development Trust. So, mm-hmm. so what you've just said there, for example, about oh, we've always got different facilitators on ours. That that's never an issue. So, for example, if if um, Mal, I was on a um, a TDT NPQ that you're facilitating, then you'd be. My facilitator online. So first of all, every time I'm doing my online study, mm-hmm. then I'd be reading things, I'd be writing reflections. You'd be there responding to my reflections, um, and I right. build up rapport that way. When we do uh, local webinars, as in in my local cluster, um, you'd be there and you'd be leading that conversation based on. Uh, what you've read uh, from what I've been writing online and what my peers have been writing online. When we do our local face-to-face sessions, you'd be there, you'd be running them. And indeed, Mm. even on the national webinars, um, it's likely you'd be there in the audience of the national webinars, just picking up what's happening and and checking in. So um, we'd have a real relationship. You know, um, you'd be my facilitator all the way through. And it's a much, much kind of closer relationship. Um, And that's important because you need someone I
2: think so yeah I mean because like I say when I was doing those courses I really um it it kind of felt as a facilitator quite difficult because when I originally started it was within my multi-academy trust Mm. and so I uh, developed them over the year and so I had really strong relationships I still do with those people that I um facil- facilitate the course to yeah but when I was popping in and out as a um you know, facilitator that was just called in every now and then. It was it was very difficult. You couldn't have that relationship in the same way.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think- and it, 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 I think it is important to kind of get this real rapport because mm-hmm. um I think another shift with the new NPQs is the old NPQs um in sometimes people used to do it a little bit as badge collecting. So it's sort of at some point in the future I might want to be a senior leader. So I'll do the NPQ SL. Uh, but I actually have no real plans. And sometimes that knowledge would sit dormant for years. Um, yeah. Whereas um, asking you, okay, are you just about to do this or are you just in that now? So all the courses now are written for people who are literally just entering or are just about to enter a role with that particular level or that particular fascism. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. important as well because... For facilitators, you can keep it really fresh. and But for the participants, this is not something theoretical you might be doing. It's something you're really planning to do. Mm. Um, and, and I think that's a key change. But probably yeah. one of the biggest changes we haven't mentioned yet is there used to be these big and sometimes quite clunky people had to do alongside. Um, and mm. it was really hard to fit it in. And everyone always struggled with their project to try and find time. Mm. So in the new NPQs, that, that doesn't happen. So... The new NPQs are either twelve months long, if it's um, or or one academic year, if it's uh, one of the specialists, or eighteen months long, if it's um, leadership. And then you do that, you engage in the studying, and there'll be little activities that you'll be doing in your Mm. school. But only after the end, only once you've finished, then there is um, an assessment period, and um, it's much lighter touch. So um, what you do is you finished your study. Um, you've you've all engaged in all of the sessions you've been fully prepared and then there is an eight day it's a national window an eight day window where you have an open book assessment um, Mm -hmm. and there's a case study that you're given here's an example of a a situation that you might commonly face in this particular role you've been training and preparing Mm -hmm. for write a response Um, and for most people it's 1500 words maximum response and that Mm -hmm. one is then assessed and then the combination of your engagement in the course and the assessment then determines whether you pass your NPQ. But it, that's a very different proposition to having to do a really big course in school. And, and none of this stops you from applying what you're doing in school. Was But whereas before you had to apply it and then try and tick loads of boxes and make it fit the the rubric um now you can just focus on really applying and then doing a much more sort of lifelike assessment at the end so I think that's quite a big change as well and I think if people are listening thinking is this for me it's more likely to fit into your life or if you're a leader and thinking if this is for my colleagues I think it's more likely to work around uh, sort of other things that they're doing I think
2: yeah yeah i mean that's uh, i mean because <laughs> one question we'd always get is um the assessment and the project and and um yeah and it used to change quite a bit but this sounds like it's much more solid in terms of like you say the golden thread there's a key thread going all the way through and it's already been worked out uh what the end well i suppose there isn't an end product the product is the leader
3: yeah, yeah, that's right. So, um, yeah. so I think that's that's a really key focus. Um, and the final thing to mention, I think, is so we've talked about the six NPQs. Mm. Um, quite excitingly, there's also um, an additional support offer for head teachers. So, if you are doing the N- the new NPQH um, and you're a head teacher, so you've just um, you're you're just starting enrollers ahead. So maybe, for example, I mean, where we're we're in October, perhaps someone listening has started as a head teacher in September, um, and they're doing the new NPQH. Mm-hmm. Now, if that's you, you're eligible for this additional support offer. So that's additional coaching support from an experienced leader, which will be fully funded if you're in England in a state school by the government, mm-hmm. um, which is quite exciting. So essentially, it's a national entitlement for a coaching offer. Um, and in fact, if you're doing the NPQH just before you're a head teacher. And then you're just starting as a head teacher. You then can trigger your additional support offer. So mm-hmm. that's that's pretty exciting. And actually, yeah. it might be worth at some point also talking about that. There's quite a lot of government funding for these mm. uh, new well. I was going to
2: ask about that because I came across something last night that said about scholarships.
3: Yes, yes, indeed. And so, uh, everyone loves a scholarship. Yeah, <laughs> everyone loves that <laughs> are fully funded. Like, um, yeah, exactly, exactly. So. Um, this is, I mean, you know, it's really one also to keep an eye out for. Um, If you are in any state funded school in England, um, then everyone can get fully funded the NPQ in leading teacher development. So um, if you're listening and you're in a state funded school in England, yep, you are eligible to apply for the NPQ in leading teacher development. Um, So That's an interesting one now because um, that means your school isn't going to be shelling out. You're not going to be shelling out. It's going to be fully funded on your behalf by the government. Um, The other ones that are uh, fully funded for everyone is if you're, uh, uh, you're just starting as a new head teacher enroll within two years. And again, you're in a state funded school in England. Then also you can get the NPQH completely free with this additional support offer as well. So that's mm. very exciting. I would also say that the government is also currently reviewing scholarships. So keep a close eye out because um, you may find that there's more scholarship funding um, uh, for different areas coming soon as well. Mm. Um, Mal, I've just seen a, a, a comment come through actually. Yes, i was going to Yeah. Um, so TS says, "I've done the. M- I really like the sound of the ML on behaviour. My school are not keen on me doing it as it's a step back." but I see it as a step forward of specializing. Is this something you can do or is it just not the done thing, something you can't do? So what a great question. <laughs> um, yeah. It's almost as though you've planted it there to help that, everybody. Understand. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess, first of all, it's worth saying this isn't an ML on behavior because there is no ML. It's a new specialist qualification um, in behavior. So um, in describers, um, then saying no, no, it's not an ML. It's a specialist qualification. So you know, I can do um, a senior, leader, but then I'd also like to do a specialist qualification in a particular area. Um, and that's fine because it's not a step back. It's um, it's just a, like a different area. It's like I've got one column which has leadership and I've got one column which has specialist. So there should be no reason at all, actually. Um, and in fact, it's a very good idea if you're a senior leader and then you're thinking, I want to specialize in a certain area. Then, yes, by all means, do the um, do the senior leader qualification. Uh, mm-hmm. Do the sorry, do the patient. So I think that's you know out. Um, you're very welcome. Um, but again, I think that's that we've. It's not just a progression. You manage, 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 manage. Because mm-hmm. we've always had this really weird thing in schools in England where some that the more senior you are, the more you are deemed to know about any area, and it's a sort of crazy mm-hmm. thing where you know a yeah. deputy head or a head is somehow deemed to know more about. I don't know, say the geography curriculum than the geography coordinator or the geography <laughs> head of department. Yeah. Of course, that's not yeah. true. Everyone's got different specialist knowledge and we need to combine them together. And I yeah. think that's something else that you recognise through these NPQs. I know we certainly do at the Teacher Development Trust NPQs mm. sort of say, well, look, everyone's got to bring their own knowledge. And one of the things leaders need to do is meet people where they are. You know, it's not sort of saying, well, I must know more than you because I'm training you or I'm leading you. But you'll have knowledge. I'll have knowledge. You'll have experiences. I'll have experiences. Mm. And we can run the school better if we meet people where they are and everyone can bring their genuine experience in a a respectful way. Um, And and that's that's a really key thing for us. The the reason we got into uh, delivery of these NPQs is because I just think there's too many people in schools who don't feel listened to. They don't Mm. feel their experiences respected. Um, and in many cases, they feel like they're not the agents of change in their school, but they're the victims of change in their school. Yeah. Uh, and if yeah. that kind of resonates yeah. for anyone, I, I feel sorry for you. Uh, um, but I know that's very common. So change that brings people with that is respectful, that allows people to collaborate, that there is a collective sense of moving this school forward, helping pupils together, that we know is a recipe for success. And we also know it's a recipe for um making teachers and leaders feel more valued as well so uh, th- that's a really key thing for us and if you do a Teach development trust npq you will absolutely see that and hear that embedded throughout everything you learn
2: yeah brilliant i'm going to cut to the news and we've got some more questions coming up like um what support will uh, participants receive and uh, how do participants apply what are the benefits that sort of thing so uh i'll be coming back to you david
3: okay
1: this is teachers talk radio and this is teachers talk radio news
4: This is your latest Teacher's Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. The Scotsman reports that Scotland is to benefit from one of the strongest networks for the delivery of financial education to young people, with approval now granted for Young Enterprise Scotland to take on a wide-reaching venture helping school leavers to manage money. Evidence was submitted to the all-party parliamentary group on financial education for young people that more than half of UK teenagers have struggled with debt before their 17th birthday and more than two-thirds of young people lack the confidence to plan their financial future. Youth Enterprise Scotland will take on the delivery of CIFIT's programmes to S6 pupils across 250 schools after the Stuart Ivory Financial Education Trust decided to pass on its expertise to an organisation with greater resources. Youth Enterprise Scotland Chief Executive Geoff Leask describes the tie-up as a game-changer. He said the CIFIT resources and depth of reach add significant value to our portfolio of resources. The prospect now exists to implement a new blended financial education model of delivery that ensures that financial educations are not delivered in isolation, but through a more holistic approach that achieves a greater impact in the long term. Wales is set to become the first UK nation to make the teaching of Black, Asian and Minority Ethnic histories and experiences mandatory in the school curriculum. The new Curriculum for Wales Guidance is due to be signed off next month, but the announcement coincides with the start of Black History Month. The new Curriculum is set to be introduced in September 2022 and includes six areas of learning. Education Minister Jeremy Miles said It is vitally important that our education system equips our young people to understand and respect their own and each other's histories, cultures and traditions. Today's announcement will enrich the new curriculum and therefore teaching in Wales for years to come. The announcement was welcomed by trade unions. Mike Payne, GMB senior organiser said it's excellent news that this part of Welsh history is finally being recognised and put on the curriculum. This has been your daily education news briefing.
1: Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DfE validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, visit OxfordPrimary.com forward slash phonics. Do you struggle with people pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge and empower your team through the Mal CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the assertive leadership and the emotionally intelligent leader courses all MALCPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. Welcome
2: back.
3: welcome back david hello 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 um, so yes my goodness we uh, we got so involved there um almost, <laughs> almost uh, didn't let you actually stop for the news so uh,
2: uh. <laughs> almost almost i'd be shot if i didn't do the adverts in the news <laughs> very important Absolutely. um right a few questions um Right, a question I see very often on Twitter mm. Do you have to do the MPQH in order to be a head teacher?
3: Uh, no, you don't. Um, so it is an optional qualification. Um, mm. I still think that at the moment it is uh, most schools would probably expect you to have it because I think most people uh, tend to have it. So mm. it's not required, uh, but it's one of those things which is very much an expectation for many schools. And I think yeah. you would be a stronger head teacher. your application would look better, um, mm. and I think it's very helpful to be doing it, but mm. while understanding it's not an absolute requirement.
2: Yeah. And I suppose it shows that... Are, are willing to improve yourself develop yourself as well yes yeah, yeah. that's right um but then so, there are other ways of doing that like educational leadership masters
3: and, oh, yeah. And, yeah and actually i think you know uh, well, also, what I would say is don't assume that just an NPQH also turns you automatically into the brilliant head teacher. You've got to have that that thirst for ongoing learning and mm-hmm. really engaging in other sorts of exploration. So, you know, learning is not a one-off activity. It's something that we constantly do and engage in. So I think, you know, that's also important to remember that it's a, mm-hmm. it's a really great starting point and will give you some solid foundations. But um, something, uh, one of my brilliant colleagues, Catherine Morgan, who's our, head of leadership uh, content at um, yeah. Teach Department Trust, she always says, you can't possibly attempt to teach everyone everything they're going to need, but mm. you give them a framework for thinking and you give them a thirst for learning and you give them a sense of where they would go to find out more yeah. um, so that if it's not something you already know the answer to, you'll, you'll have all of the skills and habits and sort of guidance of where you would go next which is really the same thing we think for pupils, isn't it? We can't possibly them everything they're going to need to know for life, but Mm -hmm. we give them a great framework, a great background for anything they encounter, um, Mm -hmm. no matter from who or where, and then those habits to be able to also learn themselves.
2: Yeah. And the other key question uh, is, is it a bit like... um, You have to do GCSEs before you do A-levels. You have to do A-levels before you get into university. You have to do that before you do a master. You know, is it like that? Do you have to go through each of them?
3: Um, No, you don't need to. Um, There is a a progression that that goes through um, NPQ for senior leaders, head teachers and executive leaders. Um, But there's no requirement to go through every one of those um, levels. And then, as we've said, um, we, uh, I, I think, under the new system, the specialist routes are not seen as sort of a precursor to the um, uh, the leadership routes, um, mm-hmm. and and they're sort of seen as something quite separate. So uh, there's there's really no reason why um, someone who maybe has just started as a senior leader might not want to deepen their expertise by doing one of the specialist NPQs, um, you know. So so it's it's not a linear thing.
2: Yeah and uh i was gonna ask what was i gonna ask oh yes what i was gonna ask was um about support what kind of support do people receive because i know with the old one it always said that you should have a coach in the school or or outside of the school some kind of coach or something like that and that didn't always happen so what kind of support do the do the providers
3: give yeah. So again, this will be slightly different for the different lead providers. And, um, mm. you know, there are, there are, as I say, nine organisations doing this. Um, so I'll, I'll speak from what happens on uh, the Teacher Development Trust uh, courses, mm. but th- there will be a real similarity across. Um, so uh, if you're applying for um, a Teach Development Trust NPQ, then you have to show that you do have the support of um, a key leader in your school. So, if you're a teacher, maybe your head teacher. If you're a head teacher, maybe your chair of governors or someone in your academy trust. Um, and you, they have to sort of say this person will have enough time given to them and there will be mm. someone giving them support. But for me, the really key support that happens through the course itself. So, um, if I'm studying um, again through um, a course run in my local area by you, Mal. Um, mm. then I'd have that key relationship with you. Um, and I would be you know, putting my reflections in the online space and you'd be responding and we'd be meeting mm. together in the local webinar and in the national webinar and in the local face-to-face. So I'm actually forming quite a strong bond with my local peer group and yeah. also my facilitator. Um, mm. So you, you've got that much closer relationship between the two. Um uh, yeah. And that's going to be really key. And then if I'm a head teacher, I've also got the additional support offer. So I've got additional coaching sessions, um, which are there to really help me reflect on how I'm applying this as a head teacher as well. So yeah. it's um, I think it will feel a very supportive process along the way. Yeah. And you really feel there's someone there for you and who's got your back um, as you're going through the process. Because we realize people are very busy and mm. you know, there's a lot to think about and a lot of real challenges that come at you when you're working in school.
2: Yeah. And it sounds, it, it sounds much more supportive, this process, because like I say, the, the, the ones that I've come across, unless you were in a cluster where you saw the same people all the time, you're quite often going to these face to face sessions and you didn't, you're meeting all new people all over again. It wasn't the same people all the time. And so this sounds more community minded and which will lead to more collaboration.
3: Yes, I think so. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I think most of the lead providers, all, all nine organizations, have got delivery partners around the country, which I think, you know, you've used the word cluster. Um, so I think now it's the same thing, but they're just called local delivery partners. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, at TGT, we've got all sorts of relationships, whether it's teaching school hubs or in some cases there's universities delivering them or local authorities or um, schools or academy trusts or all sorts um mm. and in each of those local areas then um there'd be that's sort of the geographic region um sort mm-hmm. of defines your local cluster but these days of course we've learned a lot through um online learning having to engage online through uh, the pandemic so um mm. what you also find is that there's while it's not 100% online, which I think is, you know, that's important. You have some face-to-face time with colleagues. Um, mm. You'd find that a lot of your engagement would be happening online. Um, yeah. Take an example, if you're doing a leading, uh, the NPQ in leading teacher development or any of the specialist ones, then over that 12 months, um, most of your learning would be either online, what we call asynchronous, as in I log in, log in when I need to and, and mm. respond. But there's yeah. some, sort of timetabled webinars, but also uh, three timetabled face-to-face sessions. So again, you've got that local cluster where three times in the year you actually physically get together with your colleagues, but maybe that's a bit less than some previous MPQs where you might have to travel, you know, I don't know, six, 10, 12 times in a year. Um, So from that point of view, I think we've seen people applying for local clusters where they might even have an hour, an hour and a half's journey where they're going to Mm -hmm. travel to that cluster because they're only going three times. Um, or or in the um the eighteen month programs, they're only going four times. So yeah. I, I think you know there's there's that mix of support and face to face and online. Um, and again, that's pretty common um, right across different lead providers, although different providers have got slightly different patterns.
2: Yeah, and that makes sense in the post well in this pandemic world
3: yeah, because people are
2: much more used to aren't they i mean the thought of traveling all the way to london wherever you are in the country to do a course yeah that's um, like you say about 10 times a year is a nightmare
3: yeah that's right and and i think um you know that that is a key thing that um we this it has to be designed so you're not endlessly taking loads of time um Mm. school for face-to-face training sessions but also we need a blend you know uh, just going yes. and listening to someone mainly read out powerpoints and do little activities is not much fun for as a facilitator and it's not much fun as a participant and actually mm. i think what people really enjoy is having a blended experience lots of times to chat and apply and reflect um, but also some time just to spend by yourself doing some studying and reflecting watching reading listening um and and these days i think a blend is more satisfactory for everyone and, and flexes mm. around people's real jobs so, um, yeah, that, that's I think that's another, you know, sort of really key thing that it's worth reflecting on.
2: Yeah. And coming back to support, what about after the assessment period? Is there continuous support after that?
3: So I think it's really important that we you know creating communities. And um, once you're, you've been engaging in your online learning, that gives you a space where you continue to engage with um, engage with your colleagues so uh, keeping those links I think is really important and of course in many cases you'll be part of a local cluster and in mm-hmm. some cases um, even if you've moved away you'll still have that ability to go in and look at what you studied and connect with people and you, you know you'll see the notifications of people still engaging in conversation after the end so so yeah. that's you know that's something really important um, yeah yeah The other thing that it occurs to me, because I was, um, um, as I was listening to you um, uh, before I popped onto the show, um, is also the question of colleagues who are international, for example.
2: Yes, Um, I was just about to ask that.
3: (laughs) Great minds, great minds. So we, um, again, this will be slightly different depending on the lead provider. Um, uh, For uh, our cohort starting in February, um, we've got a face-to-face cluster in the Middle East in the Um, based around um, Dubai. Um, Mm. So if colleagues are working in international schools in the Middle East, then uh, you could potentially be, uh, might be interested in that. Um, But also uh, exploring in future years, then the fully online version. So no matter where you are, um, Mm. if you're international, a fully online version. Um, uh, But bear in mind, if you are in England, um, there won't be any fully online versions because um, government in England has said they, they want all courses in uh, based in England to have a face-to-face element but obviously that won't necessarily work for everyone in a international Mm -hmm. school Um, if you're in a very remote location in China for example it might be quite tough for you to (laughs) repeatedly get back to the UK um, or indeed another training centre so um, keep an eye out for those Um, but uh, it's worth you know uh, I think the nice thing is there are differences across the nine lead providers and mm. you might find different models work for you in different ways. So it's worth having an explore. And as much as obviously I'd love everyone to end up working with teacher development trust, there's some wonderful organizations delivering these um, mm. and, you know, organizations like ambition Institute and teach first and best practice network and the education development trust and um, school led and all sorts. I mean, some really brilliant names and, yeah. uh, you know, I, I'm I, this isn't supposed to be an advertorial for TDT. So I just think, each of those organisations has brought brilliant people together, have some amazing partners, have slightly different approaches. And I just think it's important to, you know, have a little look around um, and then come to TDT. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, Another question I wanted to ask is, can, is it a case, how does it work with teaching school hubs? What's the relationship between, say, for example, your organisation, teaching school hubs and, and the new MPQs? Sure. How does it all
3: work? So um, for colleagues listening in who are either haven't heard about it or aren't based in England, then um, we've just gone through a big period of reform, which is something you could say, I think, any time in the last decade or two decades. Yeah. Uh, so we used to have about 800 teaching schools, local organisations funded to focus on everything from initial teacher education and early development and leadership and school support. And this has now changed where you've got um, a smaller number, somewhere around 100 um teaching school hubs so they cover more schools sort of often say 300 schools in the area Um, and uh, these schools are then particularly focusing on the development offer so initial teacher education um, early career support and leadership support so in every area of the country in England you'll find you have a local teaching school hub and all of them will be partnering with one or potentially two of the leadership providers to be offering NPQs in the local area Um, And it's a great idea to check out that offer. Um, It doesn't necessarily mean that that's the only leadership provider in your area. You know, in some areas, for example, we're working with teaching school hubs. In other areas, we're working with a university. And people Mm. in that area could choose between their local teaching hub or the university or in other areas, their local authority, for example. So Mm. um, do check out your local teaching school hub offer. um, But also bear in mind, there will probably be other people in your area who are also offering the NPQ as well.
2: Fantastic. Um, so let's imagine we've got somebody who's newly become a middle leader in yep. September. What are the key benefits for them uh, in uh, doing one of these courses?
3: So, uh, so did you say they're becoming a, a middle leader in September? A
2: middle leader, yeah. yeah.
3: Um, so if you're, uh, and, and let's, let's imagine they're doing it from next September.
2: Okay.
0: (laughs)
3: Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't really mind actually. We can say that perhaps you've just started becoming a, um, perhaps you've just started as, um, uh, let's say, a curriculum leader. Let's pick primary. So let's say you've just become the school, I don't know, maths coordinator, for example. Um, So that is a a big task. You know, there's all sorts of questions that um, leaders will want to ask, that staff will want to ask, that an inspectorate might come and ask. Um, And you need, uh, what you want to get is some practical skills for leading the team of teachers and leading the area, understanding that there's going to be leading um, sort of down and sideways and up, and you'll have people who maybe report to you, and you'll have other subject coordinators to work with, and phase leaders, and you may be leading up and trying to influence what senior leaders are doing in your school. Um, And so you need a full set of skills, everything from communication and collaboration, to more detailed understanding about what uh, really effective curriculum and curriculum planning looks like, and leading a team to do that, and engaging in assessment and leading other people, and understanding how it connects together with um, other important um, systems and processes in school. So, it, uh, these NPQs will take you through systematically key areas you need to know about, and then think about how you're actually applying it in your real job. Um, and that would be the same if you've just started as a senior leader or if you've just started as a let's say a, a pastoral leader let's say you've just become a head of year 10 um you might want to do the npq in leading behavior and culture and you know really start learning about different aspects of well-being and mental health and creating a really calm behavior environment and not just in your practice but creating uh, policies and procedures and running training sessions and coaching others in doing that so um i think there's there's a lot or even if it's on your schedule for starting perhaps next september um, yeah so it'll give you a lot to think about and it will systematically cover key areas and help you apply things in the process as well
2: mm, brilliant last question the mpqel yes now is that uh, more like a mba that kind of more um well how is it different from the qh
3: Sure. So um, I think one of the key differences is understanding that when you're an executive leader and you're, you are leading a team of head teachers or heads of school across a group of schools, um, then your lens shifts because you can't just do the same thing you may have done when you were a head headteacher. Um, you can't just be that person who's then, you know, trying to get to know every pupil in every school and mm-hmm. um, having those same interactions. At this stage, you're then working with... A group of um, head teachers or heads of school, uh, sort of align with each other and make sure people are really working as a collectively effectively as a, as, a, as a group of heads. That requires some different skills. It requires a different strategic lens. So, um, while sort of the, some of the key headings are the same as an executive leader um, in terms of what you'll be learning the content will be really looked at from a different perspective. Um, It's not how do I do this within my school, but how do I get a team of leaders across different schools to apply these ideas, to work together, to share expertise, but also understand that each school that I'm leading across may be quite different in nature, might be quite different in where it is in its journey or the challenges it's facing. Um, And that requires some quite subtle sort of skills. Now, you've asked about the difference between an MBA So an MBA, um, typically speaking, and a sort of a much more generic leadership thing, and you might be joining people from, um, you know, pharmaceutical industry or from law or who work in manufacturing Mm -hmm. or um, who work in retail. And you will learn lots of really fascinating things on there, and there there is definitely value. But if you're doing an NPQEL, we're taking leadership theory and ideas, and we're really focusing on, okay, how is an executive leader understanding school leadership and school executive leadership? Can you view everything through the lens of schools, through the lens of what you're actually doing right now? So I think there's Less work for you to do to translate the ideas from the course into practical things on the ground. But it also doesn't stop you getting a a kind of broad leadership lens as well. So um, they're very different things. um, And and I wouldn't want to dissuade people from thinking about doing MBAs at some point in their career. But I would say that if you're looking for a shorter distance between what you're learning and how you're going to apply it, Mm -hmm. then I think the NPQEL would be a really great idea. Um, it's also worth saying, Mal. I realize I completely forgot to say that when we were talking about scholarship funding before, mm. every school um, who is uh, in England who is in the top 30% by, by the number of pupil premium eligible children mm. also gets fully scholarship funded NPQs. So it may well be whether you want to do the executive leader course or the head teacher or SL or one of the specialist qualifications that if your school has quite high levels of pupil premium, you may already be eligible to get yours fully funded from the government. Um, and again, it's worth, again, keeping an eye out because the government's reviewing this and may change and, and, and add uh, scholarship offers in the future as well.
2: Yeah, brilliant. David, it's always a pleasure talking to you.
3: Absolutely lovely to chat to you. And as I say, I, I'm now very excited by you perhaps speaking Spanish to me next year. Yeah. <laughs>
2: we'll see I've just got visions of forty towers <laughs> it's going to be horrendous it's
3: be much smoother than that and uh, uh, good luck with your uh, Mel and uh, absolutely as ever a pleasure to be on the show thank you for having
2: me. Right. brilliant okay speak soon
3: bye then bye
2: bye
1: this is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio
4: This is your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. The Scotsman reports that Scotland is to benefit from one of the strongest networks for the delivery of financial education to young people with approval now granted for Young Enterprise Scotland to take on a wide-reaching venture helping school leavers to manage money. Evidence was submitted to the all-party parliamentary group on financial education for young people that more than half of UK teenagers have struggled with debt before their 17th birthday and more than two-thirds of young people lack the confidence to plan their financial future. Youth Enterprise Scotland will take on the delivery of SIFIT's programmes to S6 pupils across 250 schools after the Stuart Ivory Financial Education Trust decided to pass on its expertise to an organisation with greater resources. Youth Enterprise Scotland Chief Executive Geoff Leask describes the tie-up as a game-changer. He said the CIFIT resources and depth of reach add significant value to our portfolio of resources. The prospect now exists to implement a new blended financial education model of delivery that ensures that financial educations are not delivered in isolation, but through a more holistic approach that achieves a greater impact in the long term. Wales is set to become the first UK nation to make the teaching of Black, Asian and Minority Ethnic histories and experiences mandatory in the school curriculum. The new Curriculum for Wales Guidance is due to be signed off next month, but the announcement coincides with the start of Black History Month. The new curriculum is set to be introduced in September 2022 and includes six areas of learning. Education Minister Jeremy Miles said It is vitally important that our education system equips our young people to understand and respect their own and each other's histories, cultures and traditions. Today's announcement will enrich the new curriculum and therefore teaching in Wales for years to come. The announcement was welcomed by trade unions. Mike Payne, GMB senior organiser said It's excellent news that this part of Welsh history is finally being recognised and put on the curriculum. This has been your daily education news briefing.
1: Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DfE-validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics
0: hello everyone and welcome to the history hotline the hottest line for all things black history and beyond I'm your host Deanna Lynn Cook, making space for honest conversations about black British, Caribbean and African history. Here to teach you all the things left out of your school books. Make sure you subscribe to the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. Follow us on social media at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter to find out about new upcoming episodes.
1: Do you struggle with people pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge, and empower your team through the MAL CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course? Or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the Assertive Leadership and the Emotionally Intelligent Leader courses? All MAL CPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com.
2: Welcome back. Wow, wasn't that a really comprehensive conversation on MPQs, the National Professional Qualifications, with David Weston, uh, the CEO of the Teacher Development Trust. Um, If there are still some burning questions you may have, why not tweet us? uh, You're welcome to DM me on at malcpd at um on twitter or david weston and his um twitter is oh i'm flagging now i can't think straight i can't speak properly now flagging um david weston's twitter account is inform you ed something like that. Uh, I'll have a look at it and I'll put it on the description of the um, show. But yeah, I think we covered quite a bit, but if there's anything we missed out, do ask. You can always tweet uh, DM at TT Radio 2021 on Twitter or email us at radio at gmail.com. So, I've got whole things I was going to talk about, but I noticed on the news, yes, I, was, I listened to the news, <laughs> uh, I noticed on the news it was talking about Wales and how they've made um, the teaching of black, Asian, minority, ethnic histories mandatory in schools. And I thought I'd have a look at what, does that actually mean so here's an article from the guardian uh it's basically saying the wales education note professor professor charlotte williams who led a working group created by the welsh government uh said the attainment of children and young people from some minority communities is being hampered by a curriculum that has failed to represent their histories and the contributions of their communities past and present they are hampered by the lack of positive role models in an education workforce that does not adequately reflect the ethnically diverse profile of wales and they are hampered by experiences of racism in their everyday school life this must change i mean this is um quite a big change, this is quite a big deal. The the report produced uh, by the working group made over 50 recommendations and one of which was mandatory anti-racism and diversity training for all trainee and acting teachers. BAME history to be mandatory in schools, I think starting off by getting rid of the word BAME would help. Uh, Scholarships to support more BAME students to enter teacher training. Uh, Mentoring and social support to be offered to all teachers from BAME backgrounds. Uh, Williams said what happens in schools across Wales the way in which they engage take forward and sustain the concerns of this report is critically important. So and saying that we cannot address the social, cultural and structural factors that sustain racial in- um, inequality by education alone. Now they're saying they're giving half a million pounds to schools uh, to provide uh, support for this, uh, which kind of makes me think they have only got about 10 schools in Wales, but um, it doesn't seem like a lot of money. But um, yeah, so the the... The idea behind this is to create more ethically and informed citizens of Wales and the world. Now, I know there will be people out there that will pounce on certain phrases like, um, where does it say, uh, the fact that BAME history to be mandatory in schools and that um children are missing out because their histories aren't being represented in schools now as a former history teacher i see this more as a case of um incorporating more diverse history in your teaching um it isn't about add-on it's not about oh, we need to teach, oh, we've got a few Indians in the school, Uh, we need to teach Indian history, it's more a case of, I mean, even when I did GCSE history back in the day, back in 1989, back in 1989, my teacher, we did a coursework on uh, Indian independence stroke mutiny um, and we were taught how britain's place um well india's place and britain's place how it all interconnected british history and indian history how it interconnected and we were taught it from the indian perspective of this is a um a fight for freedom and independence and from the british perspective of well this is a mutiny and really some of that It sounds like some of that is lost, but I don't know if that's just Daily Mail sort of headlines that make it sound that it's lost, or because when I speak to a network of history teachers, they seem to be teaching history from those different perspectives, as it should be. So, um... I think at first, when I heard that headline about BAME, well, first of all, I got, um, I get all icky when I hear the word BAME because I don't like it. Diverse, I like diverse, that word, because, you know, BAME is such a mahoosive box. (laughs) It's, It's such a huge, huge box. And all the people in it is... Well, it's the global majority, isn't it? It's like three quarters of the world or something. Four sixths of the world would be considered BAME. But they don't call themselves BAME. I don't. Anyway. Um, and also, if we're talking about diverse history, we need to be talking about LGBTQI, um, whole range of, you know, the intersection, intersectionality of history and you could be um from an indian background or a africa black african background or black caribbean background um and be gay and where are the role models there so i just think it needs to be put in context of okay if you're teaching then it needs to be let's say you're teaching science then where is this coming from i mean when i was teaching medicine three time there used to be a whole section on islamic uh medicine and how the arabs basically um knew about blood circulation and the heart pumping blood around the body um hundreds and hundreds of years before um we discovered it in the UK well in England so it's I think it's really looking at proper history that's how I see it <laughs> it's proper teaching and not teaching from one perspective uh rather than an add-on it's um yeah I think it's not as onerous as it probably sounds Now I've been looking at the headlines as well And uh, apparently the army are going in Regarding the petrol crisis Now apparently We haven't run out of petrol Um, What we have got Is an awful lot of people out there Terrified that we've run out of petrol And then filling up more than usual Um, And therefore We've run out of petrol (laughs) It's like this Cycle of um, A cycle of Dis you know just idiocy I suppose that's how I see it Uh, we drove back um, where my American friend Patrick stayed over during the wedding and he went back the other day yesterday and uh, on Wednesday we went to Durdle Door now all those geographers out there this was like for me a massive deal. It was like seeing a celebrity. It's weird because I'd seen Durdle Door in the geography books for the last twenty odd years. Um, in my first ever school, it was a jog, They used to take a school trip to Durdle Door. They used to um, do a coursework on it at GCSE. So I'd seen pictures of this. I'd observed lessons where they talk about you know the lessons are based on Durdle Door and. You know it's just on the jurassic coast and this incredible rock formation into the sea so if you don't know what i'm talking about just look it up uh, just googleize it and you'll see it's absolutely stunning location but to see it up close <laughs> in real it's like oh, i'm here in front of this incredible structure anyway it's about an hour from where i live um, on a bad day, it's about an hour And on the way back I thought, oh I'll need some petrol And I know they've been talking about a petrol crisis But it shouldn't be a big deal down here Because it's not the holiday season um, Yeah, so every single That entire hour Which is probably about 20 to 25 miles uh, Every petrol station I passed um, were There were queues Queues going all the way through and any petrol station that didn't have queues, we drove into, they were closed because they'd run out of petrol. And it was like, oh, for Christ's sakes, right? So by the time I got home, I had my needle on my car, basically said, uh, you are empty, which basically means there's about 15 uh, pounds worth of, 15 miles worth of petrol left. And so I started ringing round the next day, Fifth, uh, I rang round 12 petrol stations near where I live. And bearing in mind I live in Dorset, <laughs> so um, that's, it's, you know, there's still quite a few petrol stations, isn't it, in a, in a small area. And every single one didn't have any diesel, which my car is a diesel car. And uh, Adrian McLean, who often listens to uh, the show He's laughing because he's had an electric car for the last 10 years So he's been absolutely fine Um, So we were pretty much grounded for a couple of days Because nowhere around here had diesel And then on one of the Facebook community groups Somebody put, they've just filled up with diesel in Boscombe (laughs) Right? So I thought I'd give it an hour and then go down there. I was still in a queue and two of the rows were shut down as well um because they'd completely run out of petrol and diesel in in those other uh, little stations. but the one I finally got to um it said there was a 35 pound limit so I'm like oh, great <laughs> but it's enough to get me to a few places and you know we're gonna have to walk but it's not a massive hardship really um for me but what about those of you who are trying to get to school what about your schools have you had any issues of staff not being able to get in um because some people travel some serious distances to get to work so I'm amazed how many people are coming into the studio now at a point where I'm about to finish four minutes but stick around because at nine o'clock we've got Tabitha so um, you can also listen back to my show on uh, www.ttradio.org listen back I'll put that on the um, uh, chat in a moment But, yeah, I think that's it from me, really. We've had a fantastic discussion with David Weston. I think I'm sounding even croakier. It's very nice to be back, actually. Nice to see familiar um, names in the studio. Do listen in next week. I'm back next week. And we have Fiona Miller, a journalist, educational journalist, um, a Labour Uh, Special advisor and so on So she'll be in next week We'll have a a fantastic discussion But you want to listen to more uh, TT Radio Nine o'clock we've got Tabitha uh, In And oh I'm looking forward to this show Because she's talking about Literary characters um, That you'd hate to have in your classroom Hermione Granger That's a big one for me (laughs) Hi i would not want to have her in my classroom she would drive me nuts she'd probably know more than me that's probably what i wouldn't like <laughs> and she'd be a little know-it-all so yeah listen to that um who you'd love to have in your classroom who would i love to have in my classroom i don't know i'd love to have a thing i'll uh listen to tabitha's show and uh, i'll be texting in so I'm Mal... who am I? (laughs) I know I got married, but I haven't changed my name. I'm Mal Krishnasamy. Uh, I can speak when it's later on in the morning. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Live for the week, not just the weekend.
1: You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org